0: chapter 2 it says then I came to the governors hitting home already of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters now the king had sent with me officials of the army and horsemen but when Sambalot the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel so I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night. I and a few men with me. And I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me. But the one on which I rode. I went out by night. The valley gate. To the dragon spring. And to the dung gate. And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down. And its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went to the fountain gate. into the king's pool. But there was no room for the animal that, had, uh, that was with me, under me, to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall. And I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. And also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Samblat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite, servant And Geshem, the Arab, heard of it. They jeered at us and despised us. What is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper. And we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Amen. Amen. You can take a seat. The title of today's message is Welfare Checks. We're going to talk about welfare checks. Maybe you have received a welfare check at some point in your life. Maybe you have issued a welfare check at some point in your life. Welfare checks. Checking on the welfare of another. Going outside of yourself to discover the state of welfare for another. Have you ever done that? Have you ever left all that was comfortable for you and done the hard thing to go out in order to build up the welfare of another? Has someone done that for you? They have left their comfort, left their home to come to you to build up your welfare. If you can't think of anyone that has done that for you, fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. What we're going to talk about today is this How do we work for welfare? If we hear a message like this and we jump into a series like this about rebuilding and taking back what is broken, how do we work for the system of welfare that God has given us? How do we put our hands to work for the welfare of those who are around us, who have experienced trauma, who are broken, who have had things stolen? How do we do this? Well, we're going to find out how. See, the, the story starts off, has anyone in here, have you ever been job hunting online? Has anyone been job hunting online? Don't be ashamed, just raise your hand real, You've been to like Indeed.com or Monster. I, I love these things and you know, sometimes you, you, know, you do this on Craigslist. I don't know if I could recommend that. But you find a job and what's the first thing you do? No, you scroll down and you see if there's a salary at the bottom of the post. And then the next thing you do is you read through the job description. So you're scrolling down. Must be a self starter. "Eh." Must work hard as you're sitting there with a laptop on your stomach (laughs) as you're looking for jobs. Come on. Am I the only guilty one? <laughs> Must be willing to lift 50 pounds. And you... We look through these job descriptions, and what we try to do is, you know how sometimes we can stretch ourselves a little bit? Must have human resources experience. Like, well, I've thought about wanting someone to be fired once. Come on, we've been there. We don't have have to pretend this isn't a thing, because it's a thing. (laughs) A job description. I want you to think of what we're talking about today as though you were looking through a job description. Because sometimes what happens, we can talk about rebuilding and and going out and putting our hands to work when the first place we have to start is really with a reality check. Am am I actually fit at this point? in my life to be able to accomplish what this job description has? Do I have the tools that I need? Because if we don't have the tools that we need to accomplish these things, then we aren't going to go out and succeed, okay? We're going to break these down a little bit. Are you ready for the job description of being a, a welfare worker that Nehemiah lays out? Are you ready? Drake Berger, are you ready? He's ready. Thumbs up. Here's the first thing. Work for welfare. Preparation is mandatory. Point number one. Yeah, I want to work for the welfare of someone else. I'm going to tell you. Preparation is mandatory. Let's look at verse nine. He says, Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river, and I gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. Look at the things he has. The first uh, thing, he has the right preparation. And we know this from last week. How did he prepare? Well, he prayed, he petitioned, and he planned. You guys remember this from last week? What Nehemiah's role was in this whole thing? He prayed to God. He cried out for God. Give me the direction. He petitioned to God. Lord, this this has to happen. And then he began to plan. He was waiting on the, the timing of the king. We're going to see this again. We see that he had the right preparation. He had the right papers. Do you see where it says in verse 9 that he gave them the king's letters? He had the right authority that was going with him. Because he knew the authority that he carried in and of himself would not be enough. See, when we see governors in the word, we think of principalities, people that are over regions. Nehemiah knows that what he has in himself is not enough. You see, as a group, as people, as we come together to take land back for the Lord, we need something that is more than ourselves, more than the authority that we carry. We have been given the authority and the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, before he sent out his disciples, he commissioned them. He gave them authority and power by his spirit in his name. That's why we teach about these things. That's why we talk about these things. That's why on last Wednesday night we we were praying for people to receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit. That an empowerment would come. That an authority would come. So we can move forward and stand face to face with the governors or principalities of our time. He had the right papers. Do you have the right papers? Have you been commissioned by God? We see this picture, and we talk about this transition many times, and it never grows old, that in John 20, Jesus breathed on his disciples, and they received the Holy Spirit. But they were told to what? To wait, because they needed to receive a power that comes from on high, and they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. Have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit of God? Have you been given the right papers, the right authority to go and to confront the governors or the principalities of our age? He has the right preparation. He prayed, he petitioned, he planned. He has the right papers. We just saw that in verse 9. What else does he have? He has the right people. He has the right people. Do you see where it says that the king sent him with officers of the army and horsemen? That he didn't go alone. Did you know there was a reason why our king sent us out by twos and not sent us out alone? Because the right people are part of a preparation that is mandatory. We aren't meant to be lone rangers and lone warriors and have these causes uh, that we surround ourselves around but w- without bringing other people in without having God's people, the king's people, standing with us as we battle through these things? Do you let people into your life that can help you champion what God has put on your heart? Is there a circle around you, a group around you of warriors who are championing the causes that God has put on your heart? If the answer is no, that's not a them problem. That's still a a me problem. That I need to expose these things. I need to open up myself. I need to pray for God to send these people. Uh, We have a missionary, uh, an international pastor in Peru right now. uh, And he's praying, God, send send me another family. Send me a worker. Send me someone from the king of kings that will be able to help shoulder this ministry load. He's making his need known. If you know that the Lord is stirring your heart for something specific and he's given you a mission, he's given you a plan, pray that God would send you someone else. We aren't meant to do this alone. You see, preparation was mandatory. Nehemiah had what he needed. He had the authority of the king. We see later he talks about the hand of God being on him. He had the right people. He was uh, in line with the Holy Spirit. And now we see the governors. In light of everything that's been happening in our nation. This speaks pretty directly. There are governors over areas who have created laws and have took up an offense of other people in order to secure their position. That's what we're going to see in the word. Let's, let's see. It says in verse 10, But when Sanbalat, the Horonite, and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly. So what's Sanbalat's deal? Sanballat, however you want to say his name. Why is he so angry? Why is he so upset that Nehemiah is coming to seek the welfare of of a specific people group. I want you to think about that for a second. This governor is angry that someone cares about a specific people group and their welfare. Why is he mad? Why can't he just let it go? The king already issued this. Why can't he just respond to what the king said? I think we have a clue. Did you know that Sanballat, he was over uh, the region of Samaria? Did you know that? Turn with me real quick to Ezra 4. It says this. Now, when the adversaries of Judah, you think, of who are these adversaries? Well, when we look at 2 Kings 17.24, it gives us a picture that these are the early Samaritans in 2 Kings. So We see that. These people who are coming in, who are kind of worshiping the God of Israel. They're intermarrying. They're serving Baal. They're serving uh, these other gods. And and they're trying to have this uh, syncretism, if you're familiar with that term. We want God, we're okay with the God thing, and we're definitely okay with the other God thing. But just, just deal with us, okay? That's, that's where we're at. The early Samaritans. Now when the adversaries, of, or early Samaritans, of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, very specific they approached Zerubbabel and the head of the father's houses and said to them, let us build with you. So all these Samaritans come up and they're like, hey, let us build the temple of God with you. How do they respond? They say, let us build with you for we worship your God as you do. And we have been sacrificing to him ever since the days of Esarhaddon, fair enough, king of Assyria who brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the rest of the heads of the father's houses in Israel said to them, Ready for this? You have nothing to do with us in building a house to our God. But we alone will build to the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. You have all these people who serve both the God of Israel and their other gods. They're like, hey, Israel, we want to help you do this. And Zerubbabel, who is leading the rebuilding of the temple, says, no, you're not. Because what our God requires is something pure. What our God requires is something undefiled. We're not willing to bend in this. We're not going to make a motion to allow you to do this because the righteousness of God is at stake. Then the people of the land, this is referring again to the Samaritans, discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build. See, then the Samaritans who were told that what they were doing and they were not allowed to partake in the things of the Lord because of their unrighteousness, they began to become angry. And they began to become bullies and they began to tease Israel. They began to speak out against them and their righteousness and their God. What else did they do? And they bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So you have this people group that Sanballat is over, these Samaritans. He wants to maintain the peace. He he wants to uh, make sure that the people who are under him are going to submit to them. So you can see in here that he is taking on the offense of these people as he comes against Israel. Thinking, oh, I know the people I'm over have something against these people of God. And I want to maintain my position. I want to give the people what they want. So you know what? I'm going to be against the people of God. Can you see how we got there? Matthew 5.10 says this. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs will be the kingdom of heaven. So you can just picture the narrative, right, of these Samaritans. About the, the people of Israel, that the people of Israel, these closed minded, uh, racist, bigoted people who won't accept our group and our culture, are, are trying to come in and, and tell us what to do. Now they're going to go build their own thing. You can see how Zerubbabel jumped on this bandwagon as a governor, as a principality. In verse 10, it says, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare. To seek out, to investigate the welfare, which is the prosperity, the goodness, and the well-being. It says, of the people of Israel, a specific group. You know, what Pastor Slaughter was bringing up earlier, how many people are familiar with what happened in New York? We actually had a a prayer night at my house on on Friday night. Uh, Thank you for everyone who came out. I think there was about almost 50 people that came to my house uh, just to pray and seek God's face. And see, when things like this happen, we don't need to panic. We don't need to uh, start just making uh, rash decisions. The first thing we do, what did Nehemiah instruct us to do? We pray. We seek God. We stand firm in knowing who God has created us to be, that we can move forward in power over these things. Right now we have governors of our nation who are upset and angry that there would be a group of people who are seeking out the welfare of a, a specific group being the unborn. If you watched any of the media, you can see how people were celebrating this great liberty of being, over, of being able to kill unborn children people were celebrating flamboyantly it was a victory dance for them that finally finally now women would have the right to choose with their own bodies this is the message see every time something happens we see this at the beginning of the Babylonian captivity in Daniel chapter 1 definitions and names are twisted the first thing that happens with Daniel, he's given a new name. See, first it, w- it was abortion. Now it is reproductive rights, and it becomes twisted and softened and softened and softened. We need to call these things what they are it's unborn murder. We're taking these things back. What do I do? Let's call things what they are. Yeah. See, this has been, many people don't know this, uh, this kind of thing has been going on in Illinois for a long time. New York was just catching up to Illinois, but Illinois, they wanted to up the ante. This is a, this is a quote from uh, our governor right now. See, we get ta- we're talking about governors in the word, so we can bring it home, amen? He says this, this is a quote. On the anniversary of Road versus Wade, I'm proud to declare under my administration the state of Illinois will be the most progressive state in the nation when it comes to guaranteeing the right to choose for every single woman." He said this at the signing ceremony. You see how words are twisted and broken down. You know, something like this happens. As believers, we come together, we seek the Lord, we pray what do we do what do we do until we get a specific answer i think the first step is personal freedom we want you guys to know that this is a place where we believe if you if you're here right now and you've had an abortion and it's been covered up that christ wants to forgive you he wants to set you free he doesn't want you to walk in the shame of that any longer That he doesn't condemn you, we don't condemn you. We just want freedom. We can move forward in freedom together, that his grace is for you. See, it starts with us personally, with our own lives. If this is you, we love you. I promise that the Lord has such an abundant life ahead for you. We start there, we start with ourselves. You know the same the same, uh, the, the same uh, reason or the same uh, pattern of thinking behind abortion was, was, is the same pattern of thinking behind slavery. Is the same pattern of thinking behind the Holocaust that some lives are worth more than others. That's always been the lie. That this person's life. Is worth less because they're unborn. Is worth less because of the color of their skin. Is worth less because of their uh, religion. Is worth less because of their disability. And that is a lie. We will stand against these lies. We will speak the truth. And if it meant for John the Baptist to be beheaded, so be it. There's a uh, just just a to finish up a quick conversation about this topic. Uh, There's a couple in here, and Rich and Tracy, Jansen, can you guys stand up just for a second? If if you've been praying about what to do in regard to this specific topic, uh, this is a couple that has been warring. I'm not even gonna use the word serving. They have been warring in this for years to bring in single pregnant women who are afraid, to show them the way of life, to help and to serve. And if you feel the Lord stirring, first be praying for this couple who isn't just serving, they are warring on this behalf. Right now you can be praying that the Lord would give them a house where these young women can come into. That they can be mentored and discipled and prayed for and encouraged and taught that not only is the life that inside them is of the utmost value, but they have the utmost value. Pray for this couple. Speak with this couple. Ask them, is there anything specifically I can do? Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you for for warring (laughs) for this. Their ministry is called Arms of Love, and keep them in your prayers. Does this hit close to home yet? Governors over a nation taking up the offense of people, and then when someone comes in, Uh, on the the sake of welfare for a specific group that opposition has met. We can see this playing out right before our eyes. Man, I have six points, and this is just the first one. Here we go. (laughs) Work for welfare. Preparation is mandatory. Here's the next thing. I'll go through these quicker. Work for welfare. Travel is required. Travel is required. But I want to sit at home. I want to work remotely in my pajamas with my laptop on top of my stomach. I don't want to have to travel. Let's look at verse 11. If your eyes are on verse 11, say yes. yes. So I, next word, went. went. So I. Went. Okay, okay, we're not getting this. <laughs> the word is Went. I'm going to say something loud, and I want you to say the word went louder when I give you the pause, okay? Okay, ready? (laughs) So I (laughs) went to Jerusalem and was there three days. So big deal. He caught a train to Jerusalem. Big deal. Okay, so Susa which is in Persia, is about 840 miles away from Jerusalem. If you or I were driving a car there, it would take about 13 hours. It's about the distance from here to New York. Thir- about 13-hour drive. If you drove with Brian Wilson, it would take seven hours. <laughs> Six. Six. For the normal law abiding citizen, it would take 13. Imagine on a horse. The best of the horse riders can cover about 50 ish miles a day. 16 days, no stopping. We know that they were stopping. He had to talk to these governors along the way. It probably took him a month and a half, two months to make this journey that it says in three words So I went. Here's the truth. Many people talk. Some people pray. Few people go. Many people talk about things. Well intentioned. You know, I'm thinking of starting this amazing ministry where, you know, there's all these people who follow me and I'm on this big stage. And that's maybe not so innocent. But... Many people talk about many things in the kingdom. I'm guilty of this, all right? This isn't, this isn't just on you. This is a me thing too. I want you to think of the many things you've talked about. Dreams, desires, things the Lord has placed in your heart. How many of those many things have you prayed about? Seriously. On your face. You've surrounded yourself with the people of God. You have the preparation. You're at the preparation point where you're bringing people in. You're praying and you're warring in the spirit over these things. And then how many of those things have you actually gone and done? Many people talk. Some people pray. Few people go. And we see this picture of Nehemiah actually doing what the Lord has laid on his heart. See, we have this sickness that comes over us uh, that keeps us from from acting on, on these things. It's a sickness. It's called the sickness of I'm to. You got a case of the I'm twos. I, 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 I would do this, but I'm too busy. I, I, I w- would do this, but, but I, I'm too poor. I don't have the resources. You know, I, I, oh man, this, oh, I would love to do that. I'm just, I'm too stretched where I am right now. Oh no that sounds i mean that, that sounds so great but I, I i'm i'm too afraid i'm too insecure i'm too weak i'm too incapable i'm too tired what am i one person i'm i'm one person how am i going to i'm too insignificant i'm do you have any i'm twos that need to be ripped out of your vocabulary for something that the lord has started to stir in your heart. Yeah, I, God, I would do this, but right now I'm just I'm I'm too young. God, I, I man, I I would love to jump into what's going on, but I'm I'm too old. I'm not going to make eye contact with anyone. Have you been operating under the sickness of I'm twos for far too long? See, I think part of the reason why God is bringing us together, part of the reason why Nehemiah was surrounded by people of the king, we're going to use that metaphor, is because those are the people that are supposed to talk you out when you come down with a case of the I'm 2s I'm just, I'm just too exhausted right now. No, you're not. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. You're not too tired. You were made for this. You were born for this. This is the reason why God moved you up here is so that you can be a part of this. Get your boots on and it's time to go. That's the Advil for I'm twos. 80% of the time or 70% of the time. Travel is required. Right, or if, if you have something you're writing on, what's something that you've thought about a lot lately? I want you to write that down. Something you've talked about, a dream that the God, God has been stirring in your heart. What is something you've been praying about? Has it been that dream? What is something you are doing something about? The kingdom of God is not one that consists of talk, but of power. Let's be people who go... Just like Nehemiah, that it would be said of us. Nick Massey went. Mark went. Mike went. Patrick went. Katie went. Shane went. Keith went. These people went. They counted the cost and they did it anyway. Travel is required. You want to work for some, on behalf of someone else? Do You want to fight for the welfare of a specific people? Travel is required. I tell you what, it's exhausting. A couple years ago when I was in, this, in the sales world, I, uh, in one year, I did 42 flights. I would wake up at 4 a.m., Well, I'd usually wake up at 3 a.m. because Mike Hutchinson wanted to pray before I went. (laughs) (laughs) I'd catch a plane at six. I'd fly to Pittsburgh. I'd get in a rental car. I would drive to my meeting. I would have a meeting for an hour. I would get back in my rental car. I would drive to the airport and I'd fly home in time for discipleship helps. Traveling is exhausting. Don't let the exhaustion of what God has called you to do keeping you from doing it. Don't let it happen. Surrounding yourself with the people of God is such a big point. This is why we do home groups. This is why we do discipleship helps, that we can get around people and we can be charged back up, that we can be refueled. That's why you see us on our faces praying in the Holy Spirit, because in Jude 20, it says, build yourself up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. I need to be built up because the travel of being a welfare worker is exhausting. Come on, we're going to do this. Travel's required. Point three, we're going to move quick through this one. Work for welfare, restrictions are needed. Do you have a life where you have restrictions? This is one of the things we teach about when there's a young man who really wants to start uh, dating and getting married. Do you have restrictions in place in your life that will help you accomplish what God has set before you? Because sometimes we can get excited about an idea, we can get excited about what the Lord's doing, and we just start going anywhere we can. And we don't have a plan, but we just start going and doing, and then we get done and we're like, what did I actually just do? Right? This is the person who's perpetually busy. Right? At at your work, we're talking a lot about job descriptions and work and things like that. We're like, oh man, I'm I'm just so busy, what'd you do today? Oh, I had like an email, and I had to think about how to write the email, and you know they put it was it was uh, it was uh, bagel Tuesday I had to get one of the you know and so there's just this busyness that comes around us when we don't put restrictions in our lives. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay, well where's that in the word? Let me show you. Look at verse thirteen. He says, "I went out by night." Restriction. Well, he, why didn't he go during the day? Why didn't he just go? Like, how was he able to see at night? Like, did because he had a plan. Because Nehemiah saw that the timing was important in the same way that Jesus told the man with leprosy, hey, don't tell people right now. It wasn't because he was afraid. It was because it was a timing issue. So he went out by night. He said, there needs to be a plan before I just go. I need need to have further clarity before I just go. I went out by night. Restriction by the valley gate to the dragon spring we're going to talk about this in a little bit into the dungate. and i inspected the walls of jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire do you see what it says um i think i skipped over it verse 12 real quick it says then i rose in the night i and a few men restriction and i told no one restriction do you see how he's playing his cards pretty close to his chest at this point I haven't told anyone what I'm going to do. I'm restricting myself from just speaking freely about these things at this point in time. I went at night, so there, there's a covering of night over me, and I only took a few people with. A leadership principle is the more complex a decision that you have to make, the less people that need to be involved. That's a general leadership principle. This is uh, you, you see something like this when the Lord was revealing himself on, uh, in the transfiguration. He only brought three people Right? There are times for restriction. This is the time of, hey, I'm, I'm going out to plant a church you know, in this area. I, I just need a few men with me who I can talk through these things with. As this is the, I'm getting ready to go part. It's beyond just inspection. I'm, I'm coming up with the game plan for how we deliver on this. He had restrictions set up around him. Do you see that? Restrictions are needed. The restrictions had to deal with timing. The restrictions had to do with the people that he surrounded himself with. And the restrictions had to do with the words that he spoke. It's this picture of self-control. Of being calculated. Of using what God has done to stir in his heart and actually going. Every step of the way being intentional. The word is intentional. Here's the next thing. If you want to work for welfare, obstacles are inevitable. When you are trying to rebuild anything, obstacles are inevitable. Inevitable. Can you handle obstacles that come your way? No joke, as I was writing this point, Close my laptop, Brian Wilson took me to lunch, and I get a phone call that there's water leaking through my drywall. But hey, guess what? Obstacles are inevitable when we're welfare workers. Do obstacles constantly freak you out? That you have to have a plan. You have to have a plan. Here's the plan. We're going to the plan. That's not the plan! (laughs) Is that you? I'm telling you, if you're going to be a welfare worker, if you are going to work for welfare, obstacles are going to come. Let's look at at this progression a little bit, and this is important. I want you to bring up, there's a, a picture of a map. Map, we love maps. Okay. Do you see that blue little box there? It says Salome Pool. Do you see there's a, a right above that, right in the middle, a little bit right there, it says Valley Gate. Can everyone see that? Okay. We're going to go a little bit on a journey. And can you see that? I believe it's salmon colored dotted line with an arrow. Barely. Perfect. Just the answer I was looking for. So, the valley gate. This is where Nehemiah starts his nighttime journey. Here's the valley gate. So several valleys surrounded Jerusalem, and this gate apparently opened to the Valley of Hinnom. The Valley of Hinnom. This is uh, what is said about the Valley of Hinnom. In Jeremiah 7.31, And they have built the high places, the Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did it come into my mind. This was literally a valley where people would go to worship Baal and they would present their sons and daughters into Molech where they would be burned in the fire. This is where he starts, the Valley of Hinnom. It says, then he went to the Dragon Spring. This is also called the Jackal's Well, due to jackals would hang around to consume the dead bodies and trash that was thrown here. I want you to just be thinking, why would he start here? Why does he start here? Then he gets to the Dung Gate. This term has several connotations in scripture. It talks about dung. It literally means that which shall perish. We see that in Job. It means that which defiles. We see that in Ezekiel. And is used to degrade. 2 Kings, Isaiah 36. That which is unclean. That which is useless. This is literally the place where they would throw out all the trash. And where that would also be burned. Garbage. Refuse outside of the dung gate. So he starts in the valley gate. He starts going down this valley. There's a prophecy in Jeremiah 19 that I want to read because it just gives us a picture of, of perhaps why he started here. Thus says the Lord, go buy a potter's earthware flask And take some of the elders of the people and some of the elders of the priests and go to the valley of the son of Hinnom at the entry of the postured gate. This is, uh, the Targum says that this is the dung gate. And proclaim there. So go to the dung gate and proclaim there the words that I tell you. You shall say to them, hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord of hosts of God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such disaster upon this place that the ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. Had that happened for Nehemiah yet? Yes, disaster has come upon Jerusalem in that place. Because the people have forsaken me. Why is this disaster coming? Why is this coming? Why did this trauma happen? Because my people have forsaken me. And have profaned this place by making offerings in it to other gods whom neither they nor their fathers nor the kings of Judah have known. And because they have filled this place with blood of innocence and have built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal. We see a picture of this in 2 Kings 23. Which I did not command or decree, nor did it come into my mind. Therefore, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord. When this place shall no longer become Topheth, which means place of fire, or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but it will be called the valley of slaughter. Hey, you have a valley named after you. Do you see what's going on here? That there has been a curse laid upon this people because of their disobedience, because of how they profane God. We're going to come back to that. Then it says he gets to the fountain gate. This is located by the king's pool, the pool of Siloam, where people would wash before going up to the temple. Uh, we have a picture. Thank you for enlarging that. That's very helpful. We have a picture of the pool. Here's one. You go to the other one. There it is. So back here, that's literally where this, this pool would have existed. So remember, Nehemiah went out the valley gate, down this valley where all this uh, atrocity occurred because of, of the curses, because people profaned his name and sacrificed their children. And then he gets to the fountain gate, which leads them to the pool. I want to tell you a little bit about this pool. It was destroyed by the Babylonians in about 600 B.C., You see that there's significance, and I I want to draw us to a a point in time uh, with Jesus to help kind of shape our thinking about the prophetic nature of this pool. With Jesus, the pool finds its true significance. During the Feast of Tabernacles, or Sukkot, which many of us choose to celebrate, during this feast, it required a sacrifice of sin and a burnt offering. At the time of preparation for the morning sacrifice, a priest would descend to this pool. There would be great music and celebration in the singing of Isaiah 12, 3, which says, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. The priest would fill a golden pitcher with water. After dipping his pitcher in the, in the pool's water, the priest would return, uh, return to the temple Mount uh, at once, to the temple. He would pour the water into the silver basins by the altar. So during the Feast of the Tabernacle, he would do this day after day after day. He would go down, get a pitcher of water, come up, pour him in the basins. We got that? However, on the eighth day, the final day of the Feast of Tabernacles, the ritual was not repeated. So seven days would go by. They would do this ritual. The eighth day comes, not repeated. This is when Jesus said, on the last day, In the greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, Scripture said, Rivers of living water will flow from within him. John 7, 37. On the the one day of the feast, when no water was poured, Jesus stood up and filled the gap. The water he refers to is the Holy Spirit. We see that in verse 39 is better than the waters of Siloam. This is the same pool in John 9 where he tells the blind man after he spits in the dirt and has mud and websites to tell him to go, go wash in here. Back to Nehemiah. He comes up to this, this pool of salvation, right? A pool of cleansing. Nehemiah starts where the curse occurred. Went into the valley of hell, Gehenna and then began to go up where he was cleansed. He literally started the journey with a curse and walked toward cleansing. Where do we start in this journey of rebuilding? We start where this sin occurred. We start with repentance. We start with calling out, God, this was wrong as we've been doing for the last few weeks. God, this is, this is what happened. This is what was done in this place. This is what, what I lent my hands to. This is wrong, God. Forgive us for these things. He starts the journey where the curse occurred, but then he begins to walk through hell. Sometimes in the rebuilding process, it is going to feel like you are walking through hell, but I want to encourage you that cleansing is right around the corner. Maybe the Lord has called you to confess and to repent something hidden so deep and you do it and it happens and you start there but everything doesn't go the way you planned it and it's just, God, I did this thing but I'm still going through hell. I'm telling you, keep going because cleansing is right around the corner. Don't give up. We see them and we read about Nehemiah gets to this place. He gets past the fountain gate, and he continues on foot. We think that he had a donkey. We think he was riding a donkey. Many commentators would say this. And there was too much rubble. There was too many things uh, in his way. Did he just turn around and go back? No. He continued on foot. It says that he went into the Kidron Valley. He drops in the valley, and he starts walking. See, a lot of times if there's something that we're called to rebuild, if it's a a, a lifestyle or if it's a relationship, whatever it is, we will come to a place where we repent, we experience a, a hellish moment, we get to a place of cleansing, and we're like, finally, we're free. But then wouldn't you know that something happens that continues to block the path that we were going down? Something from the past comes back up. Another traumatic event occurs right in front of us and more rubble is created. See, we have a choice of either to turn around and go home or to keep marching forward. It requires us to change. It requires us to change the way uh, that we're transporting. It requires us to change the way we walk. But if we continue to persevere, the rebuilding will continue. You know, it's not very clear in the text, and you you can read a bunch of different commentaries on it, if Nehemiah actually made it around the whole wall. From what it seems, because he says, let's look at verse 15. He says, then I went up uh, in the night by the valley. This is the Kidron Valley that he was walking through now. And inspected the wall. And I turned back, and I entered by the valley gate, and so returned. So he goes up. We don't know how far he goes. Maybe he made it to the the east gate. Maybe he went all the way around. We don't know, but we don't have a clear picture that he saw completely the other side. And I think this is a beautiful point because full obedience doesn't require a full picture. Our full obedience doesn't require a full picture of what God is going to do and how he's going to do it. We know in part, we prophesy in part, we're often given just a piece of the picture, and that's where faith has to be activated. Stop waiting for the full picture before you begin to move. You don't need to wait for that. If that's what you're waiting for, it will never come, because without faith, it is impossible to please God. Half of picture plus faith equals everything we need. We can move forward on these things just like Nehemiah did. Here's the fifth point. Want to work for welfare? What else is in the job description? Collaboration is critical. So we'll get verse 16. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, And the rest. There are a lot of people who he hasn't told about this. Who were to do the work. But to Nehemiah, I thought he said that I I will do it. You see in this planning stage, it went from I can do it to we can do it. We're going to do it. I'm going to start it and we are going to do it. The nobles. Yep, we're going to do it. The priests. Even the priests. We're going to go for a little uh, treat in chapter three, seeing that they're the ones who actually led some of the charges. The priests are going to do it. The Jews are going to do it. The officials and the rest. Then I said to them, verse 17, you see the trouble we are in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? I love that he starts with their current situation. Do you see the trouble we're in right now? He's talking to the people. Look at our current reality. The gates are torn down. They've been burned with fire. Now what? Come. Let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise and build. Collaboration is Critical. See, part of this, remember at the beginning we said this wasn't really about just the wall. In Jeremiah 24, the reason why he says part of this disgrace, like we're under disgrace right now, is because being under disgrace in Jeremiah 24, being taunted in Jeremiah 24, is part of the disobedience. He's saying, let's be cleansed from all of this. Let's be cleansed from what came upon us. It's time to move forward past the curse. And it got everyone together to say, yes, let us rebuild. Let us do this together. After that, in verse 18, it says, so they strengthened their hands for the good work. Henry, can you bring up a bag of rice for me. Do you? Have, did you bring a bag of rice to church today, by any chance? Like, like at least a fifteen pound. You did. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Sit it right here. You can hold the mic for me. Sweet. Did you know? One of the ways um, people strengthen their hands is with rice training. Did you know that? And so, it's very Mr. Miyagi-esque. And what you do, there's, there's actually like videos on how to strengthen your hands. And you dig them in there. And you, see? And you, you have to like really squeeze the rice. And then you let go. And then you dig in there again. you grab rice. And you can do all these exercises in the rice. And you move your arms. There's wrist exercises you can do in the rice and all these things, but people literally do this to know how to strengthen their hands. Wrestlers will do this, uh, powerlifters will do this, because grip strength is so important in martial arts, in wrestling, in powerlifting, that you have to intentionally work on strengthening your hand so that when it's time to work, you're going to have the strength that you need. It says that they strengthen their hands for the work. Right now is where I'd usually give you a list of ways we can strengthen our hands, but I just want to give you one thing. And if we can get this one thing Romans 12:2 Do not be conformed to this world. I believe that now he says do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How, how do I strengthen my hands for the battle that's ahead? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't conform to the patterns of this world. If there's any pattern of this world that you have been conforming yourself to, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is what takes us from being so self-centered and self-focused to kingdom-centered and Christ-centered and kingdom-focused and Christ-focused. Being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Reading through the scriptures. Letting the scriptures just transform you and, and, and literally rebuild the way you think. Because if if we start, God will finish the process. That's why it says in, in the Psalms that God trains my hands for war. So that my arm can bend a bow of bronze. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's this empowerment. The people felt empowered. They're like, hey, you're right. We can do this. Let's do it together. Let's collaborate on this. We're feeling empowered. Let's become strong. Let's be strengthened. Let's be unified. Let's get on the same page. Collaboration is critical. Here's the last thing. Job description number six. Work for welfare. Confidence is crucial. Confidence. Confidence is crucial. Not a self-confidence, a Christ-confidence. Look at verse 19. It says, but, but when Samblot, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, servant, and Geshem. Got a new dude in there. Geshem, the Arab. Geshem. So if you were going to look at a map. I don't have a map right now. But it's literally this picture that they were geographically surrounded by people who were against them. You have uh, Samblot in, in Samaria. Uh, you have Tobiah in the Transjordan area. And then you have Geshem, which is uh, southern Judah. They are literally surrounded by opposition. They jeered at us and despised us. They were taunting and taunting and taunting. What is this thing that you're going to do? Are you rebelling against the king? He's attacking motives and their plan. And look at his reply in verse 20. He said, the God of heaven will make us prosper." See, it's not a confidence in ourselves. It's not that we know enough. It's not that we have a good enough argument. It's not that we're strong enough or we have enough resources. It's our God. First and foremost, we are confident because our God is confident. We are confident because our God has chosen to use us. We are confident because God's word stands. It has nothing to do with me. My confidence in myself will fail every single time, but my confidence in the Lord cannot be shaken. He said, the God of heaven, let me make a very clear distinction. The only God, the God of heaven, will make us prosper. And we are his servants. We will arise and build. This is what we're going to do. This is who our God is. I have the favor of God. I have favor with the people of God, and I have favor with the promise of God. And then he begins to tell them what's going to happen to them. But you, you have no portion. See, portion is always tied to inheritance. He said, You don't even have a part of what God has given to us. What God has promised to us all the way back in Genesis. You don't even have a portion of our inheritance. None of it is for you. This is their heritage. You have no ancestral heritage. He says you have no right. He's like, not only did God not give this to you, you have no legal right over this. We don't care if you reside here. You have no legal right. And he says, you have no claim. You have no memorial. It's crazy because the battle over this land still occurs today who has inheritance, who has the memorial, who has the ancestral rights, who has this battle still goes on today. Opposition comes up. But confidence in the Lord is crucial. Do you meet the job description? Do you meet the job description that Nehemiah has laid out for us as we begin to war on the behalf of the welfare of another? As we establish ourselves and say, God, sign me up. I want to be a worker for your welfare, for the welfare of your people, for the welfare of your kingdom. Do you meet the job description? Are there areas of your life where you're like, no, I need this confidence in, in the Lord. I, I, God, would you grow me in that? God, I want to be ready. I want to be a worker. Lord, take me through what is necessary that I may grow in that. God, it's really hard for me to want to collaborate with people. Would you grow me in that area? God, I feel like I'm just I run wild sometimes. And would you show me restrictions to put in my life that I can be focused on what you have spoken? Ask God to do these things to you. We are coming together. We are doing this together as His people. We are taking back what is broken. Why don't you stand with me? For a moment of honesty, I just want to ask, is there someone in here whose heart was stirred about something the Lord spoke to you that you're like, I I need to work toward going and doing this thing? If that's you, I just want you to lift up your hand. Amen. Amen. Jesus, I pray right now, Lord, for an empowerment over your people. God, that we would trust in your promises, that we would trust in your word. Lord, that you would be the one to give us the tactics and how we need to ask. God, would you bring people around us? Would you bring people around, those who have their hands raised, saying, I will will champion this with you. I will stand next to you. I will walk through the valley of hell with you, that this may be accomplished, that this may be done. Lord, we pray for revelation. Yeah, we pray for boldness. Lord, we pray that we would rise up in the authority that you've already given us. Lord, that you desire for these things, you desire for welfare to be had by our hands. Lord, would there be a new holy revelation that comes forth from this place? God, that would be so tied to the gospel and so tied to the the power that comes with being baptized with your Holy Spirit. Lord, that the world would see what we were doing, God. And when we see the opposition, we would continue to stand firm on your promises and on your character. And God, right now, I just pray for an abundant blessing over Tracy and Rich. God, as they continue to move forward, Lord, bring the finances, God, for their home. God, do a work. Bring partners around them. Bring people around them. Lord, would women come into this house and be safe? God, would uh, young men who are fathers or old men who are fathers and are walking through this, come into that house and be saved. Jesus, that this church would be known for a place that shelters though, those who are in fear. That this church would be known for those who will stand under the weight. Who will put their hands to work. That we won't just be a, a church who talks or prays, but one who goes, God. Show us how to go. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that it is by your death and by your resurrection and by your mercy and grace and welcoming us into your family that we can do all of these things. Lord, we'll let our confidence in you grow in this season. God, that we could work for your welfare, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.